Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. I took a walk with my niece and nephew. It's not, you know, burn your face off hot yet, you know, after the sun goes down. But I took a walk with them recently, probably within the, I think it was yesterday, maybe last night when we were walking. Um, and, uh, throughout the course of the conversation, uh, we, I'm not sure how we got to it, but it came up, you know, about going to heaven. And so I asked them, you know, real gospel centered question, like, how does somebody go to heaven? And both of them emphatically threw their arms in the air and said, believe in God. And I was like, yay. So salute to all our RCC kids volunteers who are teaching the basics and the principles to everybody. And then as I, we were walking, I said, well, just let me be a little like one step clearer about that. When we say God, who are we talking about? And they both looked at me confused and dumbfounded like, Jesus, that's who we're talking about. I'm like, right, that's exactly who we're talking about. And the reason that I had to make sure that they understood who we were talking about when we said God, because we live in a culture that is consistently redefining who God is. They're consistently trying to um, uh, make God whatever it is to you, whatever he is to you. You know, the new age, new, you know, new thought uh, thing is, you know, God is the universe and all that kind of thing. Um, And so we have to be careful. And it's just a reminder for all of us that when we talk to people about the gospel, when we talk to them about what God did in our life, how God changes, how God sent his only son. We need to make sure that when we're talking to people, we kind of stop for a second and go, let's just define a few terms here. What does God mean? Like when I say God, what are you you talking about? And if it's anything other than the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, God in the Bible, the, the father of Jesus, Yahweh, as we pronounce his name from scripture, if it's anybody else but that, then we gotta redefine that for them so we're not talking past each other. There's a lot of that that's happening when people say God, they have their own interpretation. So when you say God, they process the information differently because there's all kinds of gods. If you're God's money, I got bad news for you. If you're God's Buddha, got some Buddha news for you. That was a dad joke and a half right there. I just crashed. Uh, if your God is the Islamic, is Islamic Allah, I got some bad news for you. If your God is not Jesus and his father, I got some really bad news. It is not going to work out well for you. This principle of making sure we define who we're talking about and what we're talking about has to be instilled in us in this culture. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, you could have said God. And there's like this general understanding that it was the God of the Bible. Now there's been so much rejection of Christ that people are just redefining it. So to make sure that we're clear in our communication, we got to make sure that when we're talking to other people, don't assume that they know or think or define things the same way we do. And this principle is not just true with God. It's true in the subject of faith that we're talking about. And in the first two messages of our faith series, we discussed and defined what faith was. Faith isn't just a belief in something. I don't care what your faith is in. There's a lot of people that say that today. I don't care what your faith is in as long as you believe something. Well, that's faith in faith. And that gets us nowhere because that doesn't that doesn't engage the God of the universe. What faith is, is two things. And in the first week, we talked about faith being a noun. And I just put in your notes to remind you, um, it's the definition of faith is that word uh, pistis. It's the conviction that something is true. It is you being convinced and have a conviction that something is true. That faith, that conviction and being convinced something is true in your heart informs or starts faith to also be a verb. The definition of that word is pistuio, is to consider something to be true and therefore worthy of one's trust or to entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence. So what happens is, is that that faith becomes a confidence, not just in something, but in someone 
and that begins to inform your action. So you just don't have faith, a noun. You begin to live out your faith, which is a verb. <clears throat> so this week, we're going to look at another aspect of faith. It was a noun. We talked about it. It, it leads to action, which means it's a verb. But today, we're going to talk about faith as a characteristic a characteristic of a believer. So the first line in your notes, the blank right there is faith as a characteristic is called faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faith as a characteristic in your life is called faithfulness. Now that first word we looked at is a little bit nerdy, so I apologize, but I want, I want to show you something here. That first word, faith, from week one was pistis. That the, the, the word from week two was pistuio, and this word faithfulness in the original language is pistos. You see how they're all the, the derivative of the same thing. They're all spinoffs of the same thing. They are three outworkings or growths from the same root. You cannot have faith, the noun, and not have it be evidence without actions, like live out your faith or be faithful. If you are not faithful, then you really don't believe. Because that faith informs your action and informs faithfulness. So let's define this word faithfulness because we're going to dig into it this week. So it's got two sides of the same coin. So on one side of the coin, the definition is just a general definition. And here it goes. Of persons who show themselves faithful in the tra transaction of business, the execution of commands, next on your notes, commands, the execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. A person who shows themselves faithful in the transaction of business, execution of commands, or the discharge of official duties. The next one, one who, is, uh, one who kept his faith promise. One who kept his faith promise and someone who's worthy of trust. And let her see one that can be relied on. So in general terms, we see that someone is faithful, can be trusted to carry out commands or directions, keeps their faith promise, and is somebody that can be relied on. If you are faithful, those are aspects, attributes that you have to have active in your life. So now when that word Faithful is applied to the other side of the coin, which is to New Testament believers. It's the next line of your notes. This is how it's defined. One who's convinced, there's that word again, that's, that's a spinoff of faith. One who's convinced that Jesus has been raised from the dead, is the Messiah, and the author, next line of your notes, author of salvation. And the author of salvation. <clears throat> what I just kind of what we just defined was a mouthful. So let me summarize it for you. Faithful people keep their faith in Jesus. They earn trust and can be relied on to follow the directions and commands of Christ. I'm going to say that again. Faithful people keep their faith in Jesus, earn trust, and can be relied on to follow the direction and commands of Christ. So with that in mind, we just defined it. We just summarized those definitions. The first question you have to ask yourself and we have to ask ourselves is, am I faithful? Am I faithful to God? Am I someone who is keeping that faith in Christ, not waffling on it back and forth. I, I believe it some days, I don't the other. I live right some days, I don't the other. I, I try some days, I don't the other. It's kind of get involved back and forth. It's wishy-washy or lukewarm, if you want to use a, a, a biblical term. How, are you faithful enough to be entrusted with more? More responsibility, more time, more resources. Are you so faithful that you are remaining faithful in your faith in Christ, you're earning trust, and can you be relied on to follow the direction or commands of Christ? We could probably stop right here at the message and go, dang, I need to self-evaluate. 
because as I was prepping through this over the last several days, I was like, oh, man, I got to ask my own self this question. This is this is part of the, the good thing and the bad thing about being the guy who presents the message, because when God deals with you, there's something to bring to, to you. It's typically to all of us. And I got to ask. I got to sit there in Panera and not cry and be like. Am I faithful to him? Because that's what is expected of, all, of me. So when I looked at this statement of his directions and commands, we all know what his greatest commandments are. We talked about it here a lot. Matthew 22, 35 through 40. One of them, a religious expert, this is a Pharisee, tried to trap him, Jesus, with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Our number one command, next line of your notes, love God, love people. Love God and love people. I don't know what to do in my life. Start with loving God and loving people. <clears throat> Let those two things be the pillars of the foundation that everything is built from. In a different translation, it says that these are the two things that the law hangs on, almost as if it's a bar with one end or with a hanger at one end and a hanger at the other end. And then they, you have to have both of these to keep it suspended and hang things from the bar. So are we faithful in our, in our belief? Are we earning more trust with God? And are we, um, are we reliable enough to do what he said, starting with loving God with everything we've got and loving people? Because that's the definition of faithfulness. So what I want to do is I want to take faithfulness and I want to examine faithfulness in four areas. And I want to ask us a question with these four things. Will we remain faithful? Number one, in hardship. Will we remain faithful in hardship? <clears throat> we read Hebrews 11.1 1 quite a bit during the series. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But if you run back before that into chapter 10 and read these verses, you're going to see that there is an aspect of faithfulness that needs to happen during hardship, okay? So verse 32, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown in into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now, so you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We, believers in Christ, are the faithful ones whose soul will be saved. Will you, like the early church, remain faithful in hardship? Because when these guys got saved, they knew immediately what they were in store for a lot of ridicule someone were going to be cut off from doing business in certain places there were going to be um a lot of extra issues that were negative issues that were going to come up in their life simply because they believed in jesus and here he's saying remember that but don't be discouraged by those trials, the public ridicule, which is growing in our culture today against Christianity. Do not be discouraged by those things. 
remain faithful and don't walk away from him. A lot of people, um, I hear a lot of people ask questions. And, and if I'm honest, I've asked this question my own self at points. Um, I've prayed for something. I believed for something. I had faith in a great way yesterday. But today seems like I'm kind of wavering a little bit. What's taking so long? I mean, I was sure I was getting that email, the answer, the job, the, the open door, the, the something. I thought I was sure that was coming yesterday because I felt great yesterday. Like, man, I was on it yesterday. But today, I'm just wondering, why hasn't it worked yet? What's taking so long? Why hasn't he responded to my prayer? Why am I still struggling with this? And on and on and on. C.S. Lewis has a great quote that I put in your notes for this says relying on God has to start over every day as if nothing yet has been done. <clears throat> I successfully stood for Christ and was faithful for him yesterday. Awesome. Then you woke up today and it wasn't feeling the same way. You got to start that day as if you needed to be that strong as you were yesterday today. Every day is a new opportunity for faithfulness. And every day you have to start over with that same intensity. Will we remain faithful in times of marital hardship? Will we remain faithful in times of family hardship? Will we remain faithful in times of personal hardship? Will we remain faithful in times of financial hardship, emotional hardship, cultural hardship? Will we remain faithful to the God that we have confessed and to the promises that we have made in his sight and everybody else's? What's cultural hardship? The mocking from the culture, the looking down on people because you call yourself a Christian, the, the labeling and the categorization and the generalities of statements that are made about believers in Christ, that is cultural hardship. Will you stand for him and not turn your back on him, but continue to confess and profess Jesus from that point forward or will we go, mm, I need to be quiet right now. Can't really stand up for this one because I want these people to like me. I want access. I want the job. I want the promotion. I want the friends. I want the fill in the blank. Every one of these things, we could ask ourselves a question because people are saved by believing in your heart, faith, and confessing with your mouth. If we get into a position of hardship, do we shut our mouth? Did the promise that we made in the moment before God and other people, is that something we're going to remain faithful to? Because Paul is urging us here in Hebrews that no matter what hardship you run into, faithfulness is what should be marking us. What about success? What about, uh, uh, what about, you know, information? What about, you know, uh, great accomplishments? What about fame? Uh-uh. What marks us? Faithfulness. He doesn't say we're the rich ones. We're the successful ones. We're the known ones. What he says is we are the faithful ones. <clears throat> Part of the hard thing about presenting these messages sometimes is when God burdens you very clearly with something to say that um, is difficult, but I will obey him. So here's what I feel strongly compelled 
to tell all of us here who are watching this or will listen to it later. Some of us are on the verge of unfaithfulness. Maybe in some of those areas I just I just mentioned, marriage, family, personal, financial, emotional, cultural, whatever it is, we're on the verge of unfaithfulness. We are considering bailing out completely on the commitment we made to God, those we love, our family, whoever it was. There are some of us who were on the verge of unfaithfulness. And the reason that this is the first point in this message is to directly, lovingly, and compassionately tell you and call you to remain faithful. Don't give up on what you said. Don't give up on the commitment. Don't give up on whatever it is that God is convicting you of in your heart at this moment. If that's you, there's a direct message I'm supposed to give to you, say, ease up. I'm supposed to call you back to faithfulness. That is not to me. That is remembering what you promised to him. Number two, will we remain faithful in serving? Next line of your notes, number two, serving. <clears throat> faithful in serving. First Corinthians 1, 4 through 7. I always thank my God for you and for the gracious gifts he has given you now that you belong to Christ Jesus. Through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. We as believers in Jesus have been given gifts, individual gifts that are meant to enrich the church in every way. Now, let's pause right here. In America, in 2023, when you say the words enrich the church, this can cause heart, heartburn for people because what they immediately think of is enriching the guy who runs the church enriching with the more lavish things and people are struggling and homeless, but we're out here buying, you know, fill in the blank, this big expensive thing. It's not what he's referring to here. Is it right to care for the people who work at the church and all that stuff? Absolutely. Completely hundred percent biblical. But what he's talking about here is enriching the lives of other believers. Remember, we say, the church is the 501c3 organization recognized by the state of Arizona and the IRS to get tax deductions for people who make donations. But when he's talking about the church, there's none of this American law in that we're, that we think about when he talks about it. What he's talking about is enriching the lives of other people, other believers, serving one another with the gift, the talent, the ability, the encouragement that everybody has. If you show up here early on a Sunday to set up, put the things out, get the notes ready, the, all that kind of stuff, you are setting the table for people to eat. If you teach an RCC kids, you're putting the big lessons in about God early in our children's lives, like we just talked about with my niece and nephew, seven and ten. If you sing, you're assisting others in expressing worship to Jesus. If you teach, you're helping to build Christian disciples. If you lead, you are providing direction for people to travel. If you give financially, you are enabling the work to keep happening and your local fellowship to continue moving forward. Whatever it is that your gift is, you are supposed to bring it here, not for the promotion of RCC. Move that out of the way but it's for the enriching of the lives of your fellow believers. Because there are some people who are struggling with faithfulness so much and they see you 
serving somebody else and they've seen you do it over and over again. They've been greeted. They've been welcomed. They have been handed a clipboard. They don't have to worry about anything. They've been given food, whatever the case may be. And they go, man, that just encourages me because I'm sitting here going, I'm struggling with my faithfulness. And I'm looking at someone be faithful and it's encouraging to them. Whatever your gift is, and those gifts are many, bring it to the people you are in Christian fellowship and serve one another. The thing as a pastor that kind of challenges me the most and as of a leader of a church is the statement, now you have every spiritual gift you need. There's many times I go, man, if we had X, Y, or Z, we could do A, B, or C. But this is a correction for me. Hey, the spiritual gifts that you that you need are already here. And God will equip us with other people who have the giftings to fill the needs as he takes us forward and as we grow and reach more people. He will continue to add to us as he sees fit as long as we remain committed to reaching, teaching, and sending people to promote the gospel. The question for number two is, will we remain faithful in serving? Because there's a lot of people who serve quite a bit in a lot of different areas. And after a while, you can be like, does this even matter? I mean, I showed up here to lead worship or sing or play the bass or greet or get things ready or cook a meal or something. Does it even matter? The issue is not if you feel like continuing to do it. The issue is, will you remain faithful using your gift to serve others? Because that's what faithfulness is. The third thing, bless you. <clears throat> faithful. Will we continue to be faithful like Jesus? Number three, faithful like Jesus. <clears throat> First Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. He will keep you strong to the end, so you will be free from all blame on the day when our Lord Jesus Christ returns. God will do this for he is what? Faithful to do what he says. And he has invited you into partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't know if you noticed it, but these two verses are the next two verses after the ones we just read. Will we remain faithful in serving? In the next two verses, it talks about how faithful God is to us. Next line in your notes, God keeps his promises. Every single one of them. And I'm looking around this room at people who have walked with the Lord a long time, and they're going like this. Yep. 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 Because you have lived long enough and survived the wound and been through the issue to go, I've seen God walk me through it on the other side. He keeps his promises. <clears throat> If he has given you a peace and a confident assurance that something is going to take place in your life, he has every intent on fulfilling his word. Remain faithful. Because faith, you can have faith as a noun. It informs your actions to follow him. And then when you get through these times where it's like, how long is this going to take? Why is he not operating on my time schedule? Your faithfulness carries you, and then you will watch his promises be fulfilled. Would you have understood wrong? Sure. That's why we promote you at every turn to read his word, because his word is also referred to as his promise, and the things that he has promised us here, he will deliver on 100%, no questions asked, because he's not a man that he should lie. He is faithful. 
<clears throat> um, early in the church, people who were believers in Jesus and followed him were not called Christians. They were called followers of the way. That's what Acts tells us. They're followers of the way. And it wasn't until in Antioch where people, who, the, the, the secular people, the people who weren't believers in Christ, look at the Christ followers, the followers of the way, and go, oh, y'all are Christians, which means like little bitty versions of Jesus. Well, we are not living up to that very well in our culture publicly. We have a lot of people who are, who don't get a lot of press, but publicly Christians are not living up to that moniker, little bitty versions of Jesus. But if that's our goal, which it should be, to follow, remember what the definition of faithfulness was for us. We are following. Can we be entrusted? Are we responsible enough to follow his directions and commands? If we're going to follow his directions, we're going to have to live like him. And if he's faithful, we are supposed to be faithful. If he keeps his word, we are supposed to keep our word. If he said it and it's going to happen, then when we say it, it needs to happen. We have to be faithful. We need to be people who follow Jesus' lead and keep our word because we are his representative, his ambassador here on earth to a dying world. Let me say it a little churchy for you. You are the light of the world. Take that light into a dark place. And you keeping your word only ratchets that light up in brightness a little bit more. Ecclesiastes 5, 3 through 7. Too much activity gives you restless dreams. I could park there, but I will not. Too many words make you a fool. When you make a promise to God, don't delay in following through, for God takes no pleasure in fools. Keep all the promises you make to him. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. You catch that one? Don't let your mouth make you sin. And don't defend yourself by telling the temple messenger that the promise you made was a mistake. That would make God angry and he might wipe out everything you have achieved. Not will, but he might. Talk is cheap like daydreams and other useless activities, fear God instead. This particular passage is talking to Old Testament Israelites about going into the temple or the synagogue and then making a promise before God. The principle here still applies to us. Let me, let me give you a more modern day example of what this looks like uh, in the church. Hey man, good to see you. We should catch up. Like, call me this week. When you know good and well, you have no intention of calling that person or texting them or responding to them when they reach out to you. How about this one? There's another churchy one. Ready? Um, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll pray for you. And we know that that was just a churchy way to end an awkward conversation in the lobby or the living room here in this case, right? The end an awkward conversation and we got no intention on really praying for them people. It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not follow through. Here's a, here's a different one. Uh, I'm sure those two may not have related to you, but it's some one of these. These probably will. Um, uh, God, if you get me out of this, I promise. I will stop cussing or drinking or something. You know what I mean? <clears throat> right? And he gets you out of it. And then what happens? Woo! Dodge a bullet on that one. And then all that stuff you said becomes... Just words on the wayside. God, if you just give me this job, I will take that whole first check and drop it right in the offering because Lord have mercy. I just need the job. Then it comes like, oh, that's kind of figurative, right? Like I'll, uh, I'm going to give something. It's better to not say anything than open the mouth 
and not do it. I know I said I was going to take these next 21 days and I was going to pray. But it was a late night last night. Better to not say anything than say it and not do it. Let's be people who avoid over-promising and under-delivering. Let's be people who are marked by faithfulness, first to God, to his instructions, and to our word. I'm going to do this. Then go do it. Do you want to come with me? Yeah, I'll call you in like 30 minutes. Just say no. Well, that would be impolite. It would, but are you going to be unfaithful or impolite? Are you going to be honest? Are you going to backtrack and not show up? Let's keep our word. Let's remain faithful to the things that we say because it is a reflection of our faith and our Savior. Number four, last one. Will we remain faithful in holiness? Faithful in holiness. <clears throat> holiness is not a very popular subject in church. We deal with non-popular subjects here quite a bit. Uh, it's not popular because there was a, a, an era of time, and there's still pockets of the country who are steeped in legalism. You got to follow these rules or God's unhappy with you. If you're saved and you take a drink of that alcohol, you are backslidden and straight on the way to hell. You know what I mean? Like all that nonsense, right? Legalism. But to counteract that, people started preaching freedom and liberty. And there is freedom. There is liberty in Christ. But God tells us what to do with our freedom and what not to do with it. Do not use your freedom to satisfy the sinful nature in you your freedom was not so i can do whatever i want you can't tell me nothing your freedom was so that you were free from the bondage of sin so you could follow jesus without hindrance and what happens is in this liberty movement in this in this uh, freedom movement i'm all about all of those, the, those things but it becomes an excuse for sin it, be, it runs cover for doing incorrect things, what I want to do, which we know we're ungodly, but I got freedom in Jesus. And he'll forgive me. We forget the words of 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8, and what we are called to as believers in Christ. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already, and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught, well, what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will for you is to be holy. God's will, his desire, what he wants, what his instruction for all of us as believers is his desire god's will for you is to be holy so he swings for the fence on the first one so stay away from all sexual sin in the original language the word that's used for sexual sin in these types of passages is a catch-all for everything now in our culture today the biggest sexual sin that everybody promotes and everybody shines a light on is what? Homosexuality, transgender, all that kind of stuff, right? And everybody hypes up, don't do this, don't do this. This is a sexual sin. Yes, it's a sexual sin, but that does not run interference or eclipse pornography addictions. Or heterosexual adultery or any 
sexual sin that is in that bucket. All of it, debauchery, immorality, adultery, all the way around. This is a catch-all word for all of it. We, as believers in Christ, are told right here, stay away from it, because what God's will for us is to be holy. We cannot look at one particular sin and then disregard this other list of sins that are going on because it's not the one that happens to be in the headlines at the moment. All sexual sin. Turn the screen off at night. Close the lid of the laptop. Don't be talking to that girl who's not your wife. Don't be flirting with that man who ain't your husband. Don't be, don't be working it in other relationships. And we're going to see that he gets a little bit, he drills us down even more. All sexual sin. Are we clear? All of it. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife for the Lord avenges all such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. Let's pause right here. The Bible says when you're talking about sexual sin, who can take fire into his lap and not be burned, right? What he's saying is, How can you participate in this activity and it not have some negative impact on you and not cause you some type of harm? Here, he takes it a level further. Not just are you sinning if you're participating in this stuff and these sexual sins. Not only are you outside of what God's instructions are for you. Not only that, but if you do that inside the church, it's not that just the sin is on you, uh, God himself avenges these sins. When you hear the story of the minister who ran off with the secretary that was in the church and destroyed the family, or you hear the the youth pastor did that, or somebody in the church who was a deacon or someone who just came to the church was a member and they wound up getting involved in some sexual sin with somebody else and breaking up multiple families and doing that in the church. God is drawing, what he's drawing here is a point to say, hey, this, all of it is terrible. If you do this, God himself is going to rectify it with you. And I don't know about you, but I was raised enough old school to still have a little bit of fear of the Lord in me. Ain't no way I want to be singled out by him for his avenging of what I did inside his church. That's grimy. And to me, scares the heck out of me. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Here's what Paul is saying. If you have someone who's got the guts enough to stand up and say, hey, dude, your pornography addiction needs to stop now. You need to be free of it. You're not living in a holiness that God has lined out for you. Hey, man, you need to stop cheating on your wife. You need to stop flirting with somebody else who's not your husband. You need to stop getting involved in these situations. You need to stop going places, looking at things, listening to things, participating in this giant bucket, this catch-all of sexual sin. And he's saying that if someone's got the guts enough to tell you and you listen to it, you're not listening to the words of human man. What you're doing is you if you don't do it, you're rejecting God who's given you his Holy Spirit. In modern terms, he's like, don't be mad at the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Don't be mad at him because he told you what was in my word. You're not rejecting his words when you don't want to participate in it. You are rejecting the instructions of God. 
He reinforces this. That was First Thessalonians 4. Now let's go to First Thessalonians 5. He opens up the, 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 the spread a little bit. Instead of a sniper, he comes with a shotgun, a little spray pattern, and opens up for other things that he wants to address. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Encourage those who are timid. Take care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will. There that is again, his desire for you who belong to Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is what? Faithful. There it is again. He is coming, not, not just for the people who have a problem with sexual issues. He's coming for everybody. You greedy? You love money? You don't keep your word? No integrity? You lie? You're dishonest? I'm not saying you guys do those things. You guys would never do any of these things. I'm just saying that he's addressing people that have all of these issues. Laziness, people who are timid, people who are or are destroying their own joy. They're stifling the spirit of God. They're mocking people um, who are who are participating in the gifts of the spirit. They re, they reject prayer. They they destroy their own level of gratitude. He's saying, hey, all of that y'all got to stay away from. Avoid every semblance of evil. And God will cause all these things to happen in you. How does He cause them to happen in you? He puts His Spirit in you. And if you remain faithful to him and follow his instructions and keep your faith and become someone that he trusts with more and more and more, those when that spirit is inside of you and you are faithful, what he's done is he's given you the ability to choose against all of that wickedness. He's given you a power to choose him in every circumstance. And when you need of a way of escape, he will open up a door. He has given you through his spirit the ability to live in this way. Now you just got to use that strength to act on it. You have to remain We must be faithful in controlling ourselves, crucifying our flesh, and pursuing holiness. <clears throat> it's not a popular one. It's a rough one because it deals with our behavior. God's number one priority is your salvation, but his direction for you past faith and living your faith is to remain faithful in the pursuit of holiness. <clears throat> the last part of the message here, and then we'll wrap it up, is what I called celebrating faithfulness. Um, I heard a, um, an interview this week. Um, if you're not a sports person, I apologize. But I heard an interview with a couple of basketball players <clears throat> who talked about the vast majority of the people who play in the NBA don't love the sport. They don't love basketball. They love what it does for them. They love the money. They love being on TV at least 82 times a year. They love going to packed arenas and playing in front of all these people. They like people wearing their jerseys and cheering them on and all that kind of stuff. <clears throat> they like all the things that come with being an NBA player, but they don't really love the game. 
They don't do what's necessary to cultivate their talent, to build on the raw ability they have. They don't work on their free throws. They don't, they don't uh, evaluate their shot form. They don't talk about their defense. They don't talk about any of that. They just want to get out there and play and, and just make a bunch of money until they're out of the league. They don't really love it. Let me say that a different way. They're not faithful in the development or use of their ability. Next sign of your notes. The world tends to celebrate people with talent. With talent. But scripture celebrates those who are faithful. The world tends to celebrate people with talent, but scripture celebrates those who are faithful. <clears throat> how do I know that? Because how many people have been praised and exalted as the best person in music, the best person in producing, the best person in football, the best person in this sport, and they remain unfaithful to their wife. They remain unfaithful to what they said at the beginning. They got great excuses for it. They can make it sound awesome. We fell out of love, man. Just irreconcilable differences. We just grew apart after time. It's going to be good. We're going to co-parent. We're going to take the kids to the concerts together, and we're not going to fight in front of them. They have all kinds of excuses, right? We're going to, we're going to do all this stuff. But what is it ultimately? What happens? People go, oh, that's terrible. When's he play again? Man, that's so sad for them. When's the concert? I know that he just beat the snot out of his girlfriend, but... That song he's got is banging. I know that every lyric that he has in, in his album talks about beating up women and the derogatory statements about females and talk about killing folks and all that kind of stuff. But man, that beat gets me. Gonna, yeah, I'm going to rock out to it. The world celebrates talent. But God's given everybody some degree of ability. What God is more concerned about is our faithfulness. Don't get me wrong. There'll be a time when God will judge what we do with our time, talent, and treasure here on earth. But I don't know if he's going to look at you and be like, did you maximize it or were you faithful with it? Because those two things can be very different. The greatest thing we can hear at the end of our life as we approach the pearly gates, as they used to say down in the South, isn't, hey there, talented superstar. The greatest thing we can hear is, last night in your, uh, your notes, well done, my good and faithful servant.